Hello, everyone. This is obviously Todd Fredericks, and I am, of course, as I like to say, an associate professor of family medicine at The Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. I thought it would be a good thing to segue into this uh, episode of rotation since it's listed under Armando Hasadugan. Uh, as you probably heard in episode one and two, we finished the interview with Armando Hasadugan, and he is just a compelling guy. I really like Armando, and I love his illustrations, and I love them as a doctor, learning from them, and I love them as a tool for medical education. But the reason why this is lumped under Armando's interviews is because after his interview, it generated quite a, a little bit of uh, discussion and feedback between Ryan and myself and a little bit of uh, Saron and Harsh, uh, both of both, all three of whom have advanced in a year since you actually recorded this. I think we recorded this late last year, maybe in June or, or, or May, uh, and I'll get to that in just a second. But I thought that the discussion we had was worth airing as an individual episode, if nothing more than to credit Armando for generating this kind of this kind of thought. Because what he's doing and what other educators who take their stuff onto social media and online content are doing is elevating and changing the methodology of medical education. I think you got that of episode one and two. The other thing I wanted to uh, point out is that I'm no longer a curriculum director at Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. After a year in that position, which is sort of a, a very junior level administration type role, uh, the dean of curriculum, uh, Dr. Jerome, uh, who maybe someday will come on and talk to us about being an obstetrician because she's uh, she's certainly that and she's she's a good one. Uh, she and I had a conversation and it felt that because the curriculum was advancing, that my position was redundant to Dr. Kashigano and Dr. Pete Kashigano, who is a uh, a, uh, a molecular biologist here at, at HCOM, is an exceptional curriculum director and he's. Ex- exceptionally well-versed with a lot of years of experience in the policies, procedures, and the accreditation documents and the other things that are required to make a medical school work. It is a massive task. And I, I think of my year or so as a curriculum director as one of the most invaluable thing, most valuable things. Uh, or I, I, It is invaluable. I can't put a value on it as a person because I got to see the inside workings of how medical schools work in terms of accreditation and understand it is not a simple thing. And, um, but fortunately, it also helped me recognize that, um, that I'm an academic at heart. I love doing narrative medicine. I love interviewing people and, and finding out something new. And I love bringing that to people. And I love doing it through the medium of audio as well as audiovisual, uh, which, of course, Brian and I do with media medicine. And it's a lot of fun. And, and so after a year and, and realizing that my position was kind of redundant and Pete was uh, certainly more than competent to handle this stuff, uh, Jody Jerome Zikowski, the, the dean for curriculum, said, sure. You go back to academics and do your thing and, and uh, be teaching, and that's where, you're, that's where you want to be. So I did, and that's why I'm here now. But understand that that, con- that uh, interview and what you're about to hear refers to me as a curriculum director. I'll make it very clear that I'm no longer in that role, uh, in all fairness. So uh, it's kind of good in a way because the further I get away from it, the more it enables me to ask questions from naivety. If we get into a series at some point about what it's like to design a medical school curriculum, which I think we should because it is a big task, and um, it'll also allow me to um, focus more effort on editing, which I really like doing, and it'll also help me focus on getting Rotations episodes out in a more timely and um, regular fashion. And so as I'm giving this to you now, you're hearing it probably on the cycle about four weeks before, four weeks after I've edited it, but that's hopefully the turnaround time we start seeing uh, is uh, very quick 
turnaround of our interviews. There's a lot of backlog I'll be going through uh, and getting uh, produced and put out for you guys. But just bear with me as we catch up, and I think you're going to like the stuff we have on on tap for the future. One final note, uh, Rotations is no longer centered around the medical student as a co-host. We'll have them in, uh, but there's a lot of variability in student interest. And so for students who really want to participate, I want them here, and I want them to be working on this stuff and developing their skills. But if not, and you just hear me with a guess, uh, don't be fearful. It's not that we uh, we fundamentally change rotations. It's just that um, because of student schedules and the demands of medical school, uh, you may not hear as many student hosts in the future. But that said, we'll get into the next episode. Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners may find the opinions and content expressed disturbing or objectionable. Well, you guys, before we break here, because uh, we, we wrapped up a little bit early, I figured we'd go to 8.30. What do you think? I want to get I got your... a question for you, actually. Go ahead, dude. Um, so, since we're still... Pre- I mean, this is the first year of the new curriculum, but I'm sure there's still a lot of things that could be changed going forward, right? Yeah, we can talk about that. I'm the curriculum director, along with Pete Kashigano. Yeah, so that's why I kind of <laughs> wanted to ask you, do you ever think that you'd ever be willing to add either some, someone like Armando stuff or someone else that is professional at synthesizing these information into, like, your guys' curriculum? Okay, so let me speak from Todd. Okay, I got to be very careful. And we give a disclaimer. Everybody will read it. This is not the official policy of Ohio University or Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine. I make that very clear because, you know, the dean runs the ship, and that's Dr. Johnson. And so it's easy for me to pontificate and put him in a bad position. So whatever you hear from me from here on out is theoretical. Okay. okay. That said, I think people do listen to me. I have a voice at the table, and I want to make sure I'm respectful of that, and I don't uh, abuse that privilege. The reality is, is that medical education is changing rapidly in terms of how we do it. You two know we flipped this classroom thing and we put a lot of responsibility on you. Personally, as a traditional educator that thinks I have something to offer, I'm, I want to be there with you presently, like we talked about, in a mentoring role as a teacher, because that's what physician means as teacher. I also realize the practicality that we can, and the models have been proven. We just happened to adopt it a little later than some other places, but not all of them. When we're unique still, there's not everybody's doing the flipped classroom stuff that we're doing, although they're investigating it. It does work, right? And for a lot of students, it works well, and they'll become very competent physicians, and they'll do great work, and they'll be great doctors. It puts a challenge to me about how do I remain relevant as a teacher? Because I do think I have something to offer. I mean, I know clinical medicine. I have 25 years of experience. Well, you guys don't know clinical medicine yet, right? So where do you learn that from? Do we just dump you into clinic and expect you to figure it out? Or is there a role for us as clinicians in in preclinical medicine to get you ready for that? So everything I do, um, and I'm getting to your point, Ryan, everything I do, especially in simulation, is trying to give you guys wisdom, help you not to have to have the experience to get the wisdom. Right. See, when you go into clinic, you say, I've heard about this. I know about this. It's in my brain. I also know that your generations are different than ours. I had I had three channels of TV growing up until the cable showed up. 
I didn't have a computer. I didn't have a little box with more computing power than NASA had in 1969 on my hip, right? You guys have all this information access. I use Hippocrates every day. I'm not sponsored. We're not sponsored by Hippocrates. However, Athena Health, if you want to send us some money, it'd be great. <laughs> um, it, but I use those devices, and I use them advisedly. And I told you that I, I watch Armando's videos because they work. So where do I want this to go? If I'm the curriculum person, the future is going to come to us whether or not we like it or not. And the future is going to be – and Nassar will back I, – I I'll, I'll dime out Nassar because he's probably listening. He's like, what do you do that for? <laughs> Nassar, who's in his third year, spent a lot of time away from class. But he found resources. He found Sketchy. He found Pathoma. I didn't know about osmosis. I want to talk about that I like briefly. That one a lot. Yeah. We're going to pull that up and look at that. Um, but these are tools, and Amanda told you, it's not to supplant your education. It's to augment it, right? And I think that's the balance we have to find as educators. And what I'm hearing from OMS1s, and you guys correct me because you're the sub- – I've told you guys this a million times. As we build curriculum um, and develop it, you're the subject matter experts of students. And that's why I give you my email address every time I talk to you. I want to know the ideas, right? I think it's a it's a synthesis. I think we need to be as educators really dialed in on people like Armando and saying, "Look, go spend the money. It's expensive education. Support Armando and download his content and use that to help augment your education of what I'm giving you." Right? And then we put it together. And that's the challenge for us as educators is finding that synthesis between social media platforms that have great content, what we're presenting, the right balance. I don't need to replicate Armando's INI lecture. He did a beautiful job of it. What I need to do is give the practical implications of what he's just educated you on and tell you where I think the emphasis point should be. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Have I answered the question, Ryan? Yeah. I, th- I think it would be great because there's so many different applications out there. I think it would be great if the school or cup like you would – at least endorse one of the programs because then always we're just like going through like oh do i spend money on this one and this one and this one and this one because like if you add all of them up it's a lot of money but if you can just go for one of them it's not too bad so do you remember that disclaimer well yeah you can because i no, i can because i gave the disclaimer it's not an official policy of ou but when i put it in the show notes i wouldn't put it in the show notes if i thought it was garbage right I've watched his stuff. I haven't watched it comprehensively, but I've watched many of his videos, and he's legit. I mean, he is doing his homework. He's doing his research. Um, and so I think we, I think especially if edu- – it goes back to that Wikipedia thing. If I reference a Wikipedia page to you guys, I've looked at it myself, and I said there's nothing here that concerns me. And I know the Wikipedia process. It's a peer-reviewed process. It's just not a formalized peer-reviewed process like journals. And I'm going to get a little bit uh, nug, nug work. For, you guys need to know this is a process. I'm a peer reviewer for journals, okay? I believe in that process. I think we need to have rigor in scientific publication. I think we need to have people look over the statistics, the methodology, and say, you know what? That's bad statistics. That's, we can't draw any conclusions. The ends are too small. All that stuff we do. I totally have belief and faith in that. That's why we work with you guys to get to NAPCRAG. There's an abstract sent to those guys, right? They're going to look at your stuff and say, no, this is garbage, or no, we think this is valuable information. That said, I also believe that there are other ways to convey medical information. I believe Wikipedia is one of them. I don't endorse them. They don't pay me anything. In fact, poor uh, Jimmy Sands is the guy who runs Wikipedia. Uh, He's looking for money all the time, right? They come (laughs) up on Wikipedia, please donate. And you should, because you know how fast Wikipedia entries are edited? Like if there's a if there's a, a factual error, and I'm not talking about some political controversial topic. I'm talking about like Factor Five Leiden. If you look that up, right? How controversial is Factor Five Leiden? Well, that's the first thing. We say. Is it a controversial topic, or is it kind of basic science oriented? And then I look at the references. Who are they? Who are they looking for? Who's editing this thing? 
Or where's the editing coming from? And from that, then I can say, hey, there's a good monograph on Wikipedia. It's okay to use it. Factor 5 lied and will give you a good overview. I know all you guys have done that because it's part of this process of evolution and of, of medical education. And what he's saying is he gets feedback and he changes it if it's wrong. That's part of professionalism. Um, I think some educators put a false uh, confidence in peer-reviewed stuff sometimes. We know there's confirmation bias in peer-reviewed literature. We know that from peer-reviewed literature. Like, no one wants to publish negative data, right? No one wants to do that. Yeah. That's been studied. It's a challenge to us. It means a lifetime of learning. It means a lifetime of checking. It means a lifetime of being certain about what you're getting and, and saying, is this legit? And you can find that out. It's not hard. Do, does it concern you at all that he doesn't use any, other than just the audience, that he doesn't use, like, any kind of, I don't know, formalized process to when he puts out his uh, material. Because I'm sure, I'm sure stuff like Pathoma and Osmosis, they have, you know, more of a structured review Do process. they? We've not interviewed them. I'm going to greet you. I'm, I, I'm sending it, I sent an email out to one of those groups, one that you guys mentioned frequently, and said, would you guys be willing to sit down and talk to us? We want to learn about what you're doing. Um, and so I hope... The Pathoma guy is impossible to get a hold of. Nassar tried forever, and he wouldn't. He he's would, a millionaire. Now. He, he doesn't, doesn't care, care right? <laughs> but, but, but I'd be surprised if we don't hear you get an email saying, hey, what do you mean you want to talk to me? You want to talk to me? You know, and that's part of Armando's gig, right? So if Armando's willing to legitimize rotations and talk to us, it tells me that Pathoma may be willing to talk to us too, right? Because, well, if Armando will talk to him, yeah. then, then I'll talk to him. And, and they know. We're not going to – this isn't shock journalism. This is, we really want to know, and we want to be able to tell people about the product because it's useful. Now, you mentioned a question, and I'm not, I'm not uh, getting rid of you two either. You guys have a, a, a dog in this fight, so to speak, right? Yeah. But Ryan, Ryan, you're becoming a subject matter expert on podcast ethics and vetting, and vetting podcast journalism. You're taking a poster to NAPCRAG on this. So you probably have some insights now that I don't even have about the process and about validity and about all that stuff and so you should comment on it. what do you think about him i mean we're all the research i've done has been more mostly all the research that is done is mostly on journalism in general and there's not much on podcasts but specifically for his product which isn't really a podcast product it's more what well, kind of is it's just a visual podcast yeah, right but yeah and the kind of the results we got back on our survey on podcasts which i guess you could you know, put towards what he puts out, which is like, a, like you said, a visual kind of sub, uh, project. It's like a lot of these people don't have any training in journalism. Like mm -hmm. I think we had like, I don't know, 10% had any training whatsoever in journalism. Mm -hmm. Most of them have medical background though. So like a lot were physicians like Armando. But uh, the problem with, with them not having any journalism background is they don't know the right processes to go through to make sure that their content is widely accepted as being correct. I mean, obviously, Armando's not trying to do anything harmful by putting out his stuff, and a lot of his stuff is correct, but what if there's that one thing that isn't correct and no one catches it in the audience when they watch? Because a lot of people that are watching are just fellow students, too, because how would they know if it's so, right or not? So the only thing I could say, and I don't know what the rules are in Australia, but for me, and I'm not going to speak for Armando, I consider him a, an, a friendly acquaintance. He's not a friend because I don't know Armando yet. If I went to Australia, I would buy that guy lunch. <laughs> I would. I would buy him lunch. I'd probably buy him dinner, too, because I think he's a great guy. Just, you know what I'm saying? Doesn't he yeah. strike you as a type yeah, of person? Definitely. Okay, so, but but this is part of what you need to learn as physicians about how to vet because every time you use a drug in an off-label fashion, you're doing the same thing. 
You're saying, I know a bunch of doctors that, that do it this way, and this is kind of what we're learning, but it's never been vetted by the FDA. It's an off-label indication, right? So this challenges you to look at your sources and test them. We know what his process is. He's looking at textbooks. He's, looking, he's dealing with subjects that are pretty well-established. They're pretty easily verifiable, right? Um, and so does that give you confidence that you can learn from that? To a certain degree, is it published in a peer-reviewed journal of note? No. Would I, as an educator, like it if Armando took the time to vet it with the subject matter experts in that field? I think it'd be great, right? But you know what his process is. He did this because it's a learning tool for him. He's trying to be a good physician, so he's using it to his learning tool. He just chose to share it, and it happens to be really good, right? So. He's not putting it out there as anything factual. I would ask him to do one thing, though, if I, it was me. And I'm not advising Armando, okay, because he's in Australia and he's certainly a mature adult. And he can make his own decisions. I probably would, since he's now a physician, say, don't construe anything I say as medical care or an advice about how to treat patients. Yeah. This is purely for educational purposes. You need to verify your information. At some point, he's going to get to the place where people he has enough credibility as a clinician that he may in in – he may incur liability if he doesn't give that disclaimer. Just like yeah. I, just like our disclaimers where I say, I'm not speaking for OU or OHCOM. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We do that to protect everybody. Myself as well as, say, for instance, Ken Johnson. Because Ken's, think about it for a minute. Ken allows Todd to put something out on the World Wide Web, and he never comes to my office and says, Todd, that sucks. He never does. Right? Now, if I did something really bad, he or one of his uh, helpers might come down and talk to me. I can see Dean Carlson <laughs> coming in and saying, Todd, I want to talk to you. Right? But there's a lot of trust that goes on in medicine and in medical education. You yeah. guys trust us to give you good stuff. We have to trust you to do your part. We have to trust the people that we listen to to be doing their part. That's kind of how it's all based upon. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't meaning just to, like, single out Armando. No, of course not. But um, just, like, what we found in our study is that, like, in general – like, for example, the one the statistic that we found that struck me the most is that people, when they're, at least in podcasting, when they're developing content, the thing they rely on most is is personal experience. Now, someone's personal experience Interesting. Can, be, can be very different based on what they've gone through, right? So per, what I learned is personal experience isn't, you know, evidence-based medicine. Basically, they could be, for example, people that believe in keto diet. They're broadcasting to the world that the keto the keto diet is the best diet well that might not be best for everyone you know what i mean i don't so, think it's the best diet for everyone i think it's working pretty good for me right now but i'm just saying <laughs> that like there's people that that believe certain things just because they've gone through it and it worked for them but they're trying to say it's going to work for everyone kind of thing it's but it's confirmation not, bias right yeah it's not evidence-based medicine and that's the problem when we get at least into medical podcasting is that people are you know saying this over this but it's not really been proven kind of thing um, yeah. And you know what? The problem is, is that thing I talk about all the time about arrogance versus humility and confidence, which you guys probably heard me talk about that at some point. We need to be confident, but we also need to be willing to, as good scientist clinicians, say, this is what's been working for me. It's not scientifically vetted. I've not done a large cohort study to validate it. I just know that I seem to get good results. I think if we're conscious about that and mature about it and we explain our rationale, that's also part of medicine. There's certain things, you know, there's the three things. There's the known knowns, there's the known unknowns, and there's the unknown unknowns. There's a lot of unknown unknowns in medicine. There are. And that's part of the practice of medicine is going out and trying it. And the last thing I'd say about that is we do evidence-based medicine, but evidence-based medicine is a statistical, a statistical recommendation based on a bell-shaped curve and distribution, right, or some kind of distribution of what we think works for the, you know, one standard deviation on your side of the mean, right? There are 7 billion prototypes. 
why you're allergic to lisinopril and I'm not, why should that be? Well, it's just your unique makeup. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So at some point, there's a combination of two things going on in medicine. One is evidence-based, but then there's the person. And that's why one of Frederick's rules of medicine is, and that's not to be arrogant, it's just I had to lump them under some title, all medicine is anecdotal at the patient level. Every patient is an anecdote. Unique genome, unique background, unique set of experiences, they're all anecdotal. And so yeah. you can take the evidence and you can apply it to that patient. They may have anaphylaxis, and the same patient that looks the same on the paper won't have any problem at all. It's a challenge to you as clinicians. Well, it's not even – it's a challenge to us, but it's, it's a challenge to the patients who are listening to these podcasts. For sure. Because they're getting these blanket statements when they don't really realize that each individual is an individual and they – shouldn't believe every blanket statement because it might not apply to them. That's why we're doing this. So for people who listen, and certainly for doctors who want to educate their patients, they say that. Your mileage may vary. I'm giving you what I think is the best advice, but this is a relationship between you and I. You need to feel free to ask me questions. If it's not working for you, tell me. Because for you, it won't may not work. No, I think it's good. Yep. Harsh, any comments? Oh, no. And then us as medical students, too, like... As a patient, you know what works for you and what doesn't. So, like, as medical students, like, looking at several videos and podcasts or listening to different things and resources, you kind of find some things that work for you. For example, for me, uh, Sketchy and uh, Armando work for me or, like, looking at Dr. Najib's lectures, which I have seen several videos, and I feel like that works for me. So I go to those people for, like, the things, the resources that I need. So because I trust in their credentials or some things that they present based on several things that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I guess I do have a last thing to say. Um, You know, the whole process of tenure is huge. I mean, that's my life there in those three notebooks, right? So I've got, I don't know, what is that, about nine inches of paper that's brand-new paper out of a printer that – that gives the university some idea of my, the credibility of my expertise to get tenure. There are processes, certainly in academia, that look at, are you qualified to do this work? But again, it's all based on trust, right? Is the system working right? Does that process actually work right? I don't know. Some people don't like tenure. I like it. But the, some people don't <laughs> like tenure, right? I mean, th- there are those processes. But at the end of the day, this is a, th- this is, gosh, this is a great Great discussion, because what you're really finding out as medical students, first and second year, is that all this is based upon integrity, based upon your own humility, based upon your willingness to have conversations with your patients and tell them what you don't know. Um, Be honest. Uh, Because people, I'm doing some medical malpractice case review right now, and um, really where doctors really get into trouble is when they develop an arrogance that says, I don't have to chart properly. I don't have to give explanations for what I'm doing. I'm so good at what I do, I don't even explain myself. And I, that's where we get doctors in trouble. And I don't believe any doctor wakes up in the morning unless they're sociopaths thinking, I'm going to go out and kill a patient or I'm going to go hurt a patient badly. But I think over time, there's this tendency in some of them to say, I know so much and I'm so important, I just don't have to do the rules. And part of the trust and confidence in medicine is based upon the fact that I trust when you're in practice and you're in practice and you're in practice that you're going to follow the rules, just like I have to. And when we share information, we're doing it on a, on a common platform so we can work together, so we can identify the errors and mistakes, and we can find out what the thought process was and determine was that a good one or was that an error that we need to fix. You two are going to experience something next semester under Dr. Dietrich uh, that's going to talk about um, identifying medical errors. I just sent her an email today about how we're going to put that activity together for you. But we're hopefully going to 
introduce that more. So where you really feel confident about, if I avoid those things, I'm going to do a pretty good job of keeping myself squared away. I'm sorry, we went off, uh, but I like that conversation. I do. Yeah. It's almost a separate segment, and it's almost something that, uh, it is a separate segment. It's something that people can learn from, too. That's the whole point of rotations. Yep, definitely. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. No. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Oh, you're the best. The whole the spots make it, right? I mean, really enjoy you guys. So uh, for those of you who are listening, uh, this last segment we did was just uh, riffing about uh, philosophy of medicine. And again, I'm Todd Fredericks, and I just want to tell you thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to us out of your busy day. Take care. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science as part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communication. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so that their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. This episode of Rotations was produced by Todd Fredericks and Brian Plough. This episode was hosted by Todd Fredericks. Rotations is co-hosted by a league of champions of all things medical and a few people we pull off the streets. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve the right to all content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without the express permission of the content creators, and you must cite Rotations as a source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting mediainmedicine.com slash rotations.